Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. Each week, Andy shares interviews with talent development professionals, thought leaders, and experts to share best practices, learn about the latest trends, and find out what has been successful in the world of talent development. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I am so excited that you are joining me today because I have another great, no, a phenomenal conversation and interview to share with you. And you know, my goal is always to share great guests and conversations and information and inspiration and advice to help you accelerate your career success in talent development. And today's guest is going to absolutely deliver on that promise. Jess Omley has worked in the talent development field for over 20 years in nonprofit, for-profit, and higher education organizations. Currently, Jess serves as the Vice President for Learning Experience in the Benefits Division of WEX, a leading financial technology service provider with nearly 5,000 associates around the world. In this role, Jess is responsible for casting vision, defining effective learning strategy, developing learning leaders, and working collaboratively across the organization. Jess has a BA in organizational communication and a master's in education leadership from North Dakota State University and a certificate in improving human performance from the Association for Talent Development. And I want to mention that Jess is also a member of the Talent Development Think Tank community. And she also volunteers as a national advisor for chapters through the Association for Talent Development. Jess is someone who joined the Talent Development Think Tank community a few months ago after being a longtime listener of the podcast. And I've been really impressed with her energy and engagement since the moment she came into the community. She's been so active in participating and being helpful and joining our calls and networking and engaging with others. All the things that I know lead to absolute success, also being very curious and we talk about all those things in this interview. So I asked Jess to talk a little bit about her career and how she got to where she is. She talks a little bit about her experience working in academia and why she left, the differences between you know working on something that's growing versus maintaining something. We also talk about her job search after that and the trade-offs that we make in taking different jobs in L&D, not just considering title and salary, but also 
the boss you'll work for, the and you know how fulfilling that role might be, how challenging and growth oriented it might be. Jess talked about her year of curiosity and the importance of curiosity. At the end of this interview, we talk about the importance of curiosity in learning and development, in leadership, in life. And then in the interview as well, we talk about how to take more of a consultative approach to learning and development to make sure that you are solving problems with the right solutions and not just slapping training on everything that isn't necessary and doesn't work. So we talk about the importance of collaborating with the business, with asking the right questions, really investigating what people need, how to create a great program based on what the best performers are doing in an organization, and how to create more experiences, not just events. And then, of course, I also asked Jessica about her advice for people who want to get into L&D if you're new or early in your career in learning and development, some of the things you can do to be more successful because Jess has hired and mentored a lot of people in learning and development. So I'm really excited for you to listen to this. As I mentioned, Jess is an active member of the Talent Development Think Tank community. At the end of this interview, I do ask her about her experience in the community so you can take it from her. But this is the number one place for people in talent development, learning and development to go to network, connect, learn, share, grow with each other. If you work in talent development and you're looking for a place where you can learn from others, hear what other people are working on, their best practices, find out their mistakes they've made, learn from the things that they're doing, not just go attending webinars, but I'm talking about interactive discussions, Q&A, really being able to ask experts questions and each other, then the Talent Development Think Tank is the place to be. You can find out all the information by going to talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. We have, uh, again, we have a private Slack group. We have a members-only podcast with bonus content on there. And we have live calls every Wednesday. We bring in guest speakers. We have breakout rooms. We do all kinds of great stuff that L&D people love. Our uh, retention rate is uh, extremely high because everybody loves it. But come find out for yourself. And if you have questions, go to that website, talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. I think there's a link there. You can even book time on my calendar so that we can chat. Without further ado, here is my interview with Jess Omley, who is Vice President for Learning Experience in the Benefits Division as at WEX. Enjoy. Hey, Jess, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Andy. Excited to be here. I'm really excited to have you on. You and I have gotten to know each other fairly well over the last few months since you joined the Talent Development Think Tank community. And I think you eventually, you initially found me as a listener of this podcast, right? And then joined the community. And, and now here we are doing an interview. You are correct. I've been a, a longtime listener of the podcast for a couple of years. And I would say this podcast is on my top of of resources that I recommend to others when they talk about how can I get into L&D or how can I learn more. I've got a short list and this one's on it. So the think tank, joining the think tank's been fantastic and continue to listen to the podcast and learn something new every time. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, we did not plan that, but I'm, I'm flattered <laughs> and honored. And, and, you know, many people have reached out to me over the years and said they've used this podcast as, you know, their education information for you know, job interviews for helping them in their own work that they're doing in their job, of course, even master thesis, all kinds of stuff. So I appreciate you mentioning that. And I hope those listening will be taking notes today because we're going to talk about a few things, including your L&D strategy at WEX and how you've helped a lot of people in L&D get into L&D and, and move up in their careers. And so we want to give some advice on that today beyond just listening to this podcast. But before we do, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about your own career 
and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, sure. Well, I think very first, my learning and development job ever, I was a trainer at McDonald's. So that was fun. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> the side by side, here's how you press the buttons and make the fries. But I loved it. And I think I was patient enough to do it is probably what happened at the beginning there. But I've always um, enjoyed interacting with people and creating experiences for them. So originally I wanted to be an event planner. That was my goal, that was my dream. And then after college, I did that for a little bit. But what I realized was the events, creating the events and the um, maybe entertaining experiences weren't as fun for me as when there was a little bit more depth to those events. So there was something else that made somebody say, aha, take something away. There was a little bit more meaning or depth to it. So I went into human resources and I worked as a training coordinator for a while and began doing new employee orientations. So that was the beginning of, a, of an HR slash learning and development type career. And then I worked in a variety of HR roles for a while, mainly in generalist type positions, mainly in smaller companies. So I got to wear a lot of hats. And then I spent about nine years at a small liberal arts college in the area where I live right now, which is in the upper Midwest in Minnesota. And at that college, I was in student affairs and I created a leadership development program for students. It was three levels, it incorporated theory to practice because that's very important when you're in any type of an educational institution that the theory and the research is behind it. It also worked in concert with the mission of the college. Uh, it combined service, experiential learning, and then really interactive workshops as well as mentoring. It was a very collaborative effort across the entire college with faculty, alumni, students, and student affairs professionals all involved in some way, shape, or form. And we grew that program for several years. And then the state of higher ed began to change a little bit. And there were questions that came into play about budgets and whether or not, what would the future look like? And after building this program for a good six years, I was told, um, hey, you know what? I don't know what's gonna happen. So why don't you just maintain it? And I think, You'll understand me, Andy, when I say, if you're a builder of things and somebody says the word maintain, yep, yep. I can see you nodding. It sort of sucks right. all the air out of your body. Right. <laughs> yeah, There's no growth. No. So at that point, I thought if really a main, if somebody want, if, if really what they want is maintenance, there's somebody else who would love this job way more than I would because they could come in at a different point in their career and learn and grow from it already built. Right. And make why, their own which changes. Is why, you, know, you have startup founders that eventually hire CEOs or someone else to kind of run the business. I personally, I'm with you. I love starting and growing things. I'm not a maintainer either. So I, I love to launch. Mm -hmm. I need to have someone to help me keep it going. Yeah, I figured as much about you and and this program that we built, really, we built from the ground up. And so I guess I never thought about it this way before. But when you said that, it was in a lot of ways like a startup within a college, a startup mm -hmm. program that was built and involved a lot of people. So yeah, when it came to maintain, I had still big dreams of what else we could do with it. I just thought this isn't the role for me anymore. And so I just, I started looking. 
And the way that I started looking was through networking and asking a lot of questions, even about what was out there. I called it my year of curiosity. And then mm. I eventually landed the job at the company where I'm at now. And I started as a corporate trainer, which after being an associate director, director level person, going back down to a trainer could have been seen, I think, for some people as a um, as a demotion or, or a negative career move. But I really thought, you know what, A, I've moved up in every company I've ever worked in. So that'll likely happen again. B, I see a lot of opportunity here. And C, the culture is great. And the woman who would be my boss, I really felt like when I met with her and interviewed with her, I could have either sat down and had coffee with her or we could have had a really great strategic conversation. And those things were really important to me. And I also felt like she could, would trust me to take and run with things. Yeah. And I want, I like to have a lot of ownership. So that- I wanna stop, stop you there for yeah. a second because we are gonna talk about owning your career in L&D, yeah. which is kind yeah. of the, the main thing we had discussed when we, we decided to do this interview. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I get contacted by organizations that want me to speak with people or they talk about some of the frustration that's going on in the organization. It has to do with a lot of people, you know, most people think about the, that traditional career ladder. I've got to keep moving up, keep moving up. And a lot of organizations are changing, becoming more flat. There's a lot of, you know, opportunities for lateral moves. I, there are experts out there talking about the modern career being more like a rock wall, you know, than a ladder, right? You move around, sometimes you got to move down to move up. Also, that there are other things that can lead to fulfillment in your career. It's not just moving up, right? You mentioned a couple, like the type of job you might be doing, the thrill of maybe starting something new and, and being able to handle the challenges and move up. Having a great manager who can really help you grow in your career. You know, what if you could start at a much higher title somewhere else with a, somewhere else with a, let's say a terrible manager who treats you like crap, right? Or start a lot lower with a great manager who's going to really help you learn and grow. I mean, these are trade-offs that people have to make all the time when thinking about jobs to take. Yeah, I love that that thought. The, the manager in itself makes such a difference. In fact, oftentimes when people are talking to me about career, I'll say, well, go boss shopping. Mm. Don't look for the perfect role in the perfect company yeah. because your manager can make or break the experience that you have. So start looking for the person who you think you would enjoy working with and learning from yeah. and who is going to challenge you. For me, it's very important that I, I, I report to somebody who will challenge me, but mm. also give me some rope and then pull me back in when I need to be pulled back in. Yeah, just kind of that classic multiplier to use the language from Liz Weissman's famous book, right? You My want to work favorite. for a multiplier. Yes, I absolutely did and do. And I will tell you at that time when I interviewed with that person who is still my boss to this day, hmm. um, I had another offer on the table, but I did not want to work for that person as much. Hmm. And I, I honestly, it just came down to gut, but that position would have been a higher paid, higher level position. And I just did not think based on what I observed and who I talked to on the team and the person who I was talking to at that interviewing with, that I would really be allowed to build and grow something, which again, also important to me, like I would in the, in the, in the career and in the role that I did end up taking. Mm. And I will tell you, I took a pay cut. Yeah. So I took a pay cut to start again, but money has never been my number one motivator. Yeah. And so I, 
operate under the, if I'm really adding value and advocating for the work that I do, the money will come. Right. So I took a pay cut for a little bit, but it didn't last long before well, even, I was able to move money, up again. Even if the money doesn't necessarily come, right? Even if you don't make as much as mm-hmm. you could have in other role, it might still be worth it, right? Because you're talking about your own fulfillment, your happiness. This Absolutely. is a career, a job you're working, you're spending you know, many, many hours there. And people don't realize a lot of times you make these decisions, there's trade-offs to everything. The money you make, mm-hmm. the hours you work, the people you work for, the culture, uh, all of these things really need to factor into the decision you make. They really do. I sometimes think when, I know when it's, it's time to leave a position, when I, seem like I haven't, I'm stopped learning. So I'm not learning anything new anymore. Or when I over and over and over again, am going to work and I just get this feeling in my gut and the Sunday night blues come. And I think that feeling outweighs the good times. So when the scales start to tip, that's part of the sign of, okay, is the, and then you can ask questions like, was this just temporary or is this really a, a time that, the company's changing or the organization's changing or or I'm changing or my role's changing or I haven't learned anything new for a while. So is it time for the next step for me? Yeah. Those are questions I like to ask. What are you doing now in your role in L&D at WAX and and what do you love about it? Yeah. Well, now what I do, uh, so I'm the vice president of learning experience for the benefits division of our company and WAX is a payments company. We have three different areas of payments a fleet services payment, uh, corporate and travel payments, and then health, which is the part that I'm, I'm the, learn, the VP of learning for. And health, we oversee payments for things like flexible spending accounts and health savings accounts and COBRA insurance, all things that are very much US-based benefits, but they're highly regulated, so they're pretty complicated. So to, to break those down and simplify them for other people is, is part of the, the mission of the company itself. So what I do now is um, a couple of different things and my job really evolved. And I will also say that the role that I have now did not exist when I first joined the company. And that's the other thing that sometimes when you're, you're joining, especially if you're joining a quickly growing company, things will come into play that don't exist yet. So you can't always plan out your map. So I started as a corporate trainer and then moved up very quickly, but the company was growing so quickly and um, the position I have now did not exist at, the, at, the, at that time. So what I do now is our, org, our team does onboarding and upskilling for any and all folks coming to the benefits division for their specific roles. We don't report up through HR, we report up through the business. So we primarily support all of the service and operations areas. So that's one thing that we do. The second thing that we do is create customer education that is outward fo- focused. And that's primarily in, in the, um, primarily takes the shape of videos and webinars. Whatever we can do to assist our customers in understanding these complicated benefits that they now have elected to participate in. So there's, our, our team right now has two different focuses. So I, in addition to overseeing that team, I also provide the vision and strategy for learning in the the benefits division of the organization overall. That's a lot of what I spend my time doing. I also think it's really important for us who are in talent development within 
organizations to have strong partnerships with those across the business. So for myself, I meet regularly with stakeholders and partners across the organization. So building and maintaining those relationships is a large part of what I do as well, because I don't think we can properly service them if we don't have a good understanding for where their goals and challenges are. So that's a lot about how I approach the work. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of great things in there I want to go to. <laughs> and, you know, the partnerships doesn't surprise me. You are so great at networking and connecting, building relationships with people. And it's so important that you are working with different parts of the business. You know, oftentimes, I think one of the biggest challenges we have in learning and development is people don't feel like they have a proverbial seat at the table, right? Or they're not really connected mm-hmm. to the business strategy or don't get the respect mm-hmm. they want or does think they deserve from the C-suite. And one of the most important things that you can do is to have those relationships and really understand what the business is doing, what they care about, what the strategy is, what the financials look like, right? And how you can help impact those because at the end of the day, if you're talking to the business, you're like, that's nice that you're running training programs, wherever it is, but how are you helping us further the strategy, right? So Andy, one of the things that I say pretty frequently is I don't want to do nice things. <laughs> and I know you chuckle and, and people chuckle my boss when I first said that to her chuckled, but because I'm a nice person, mm-hmm. I'm a very kind person, right. but I don't want to do nice things for my work. I want to do effective things. So if the only reason we're doing something is because it's a nice to have, to me, that's probably a waste of time and resources. Yeah. So yes, I, that, I, I feel pretty strongly about that, that let's make sure that what we're doing is not wasting company time and resources. So that's maybe another thing that I spend a lot of time doing. Let, the let's partner- talk about how, how you make sure that you are doing things that are effective. You know, Part of what you do is setting a vision and a strategy, mm-hmm. which means it sounds to me like you're getting very strategic and starting with the, what is this for? Asking you know the question for curiosity before you start creating stuff and reacting to things. So tell me mm-hmm. more about that. So I would say the partnerships are a good place to start with that first and foremost. When I meet with our partners and our business stakeholders across the organization, and I have one-on-one meetings with most of them, uh, maybe monthly-ish, and they're usually pretty quick. At this point, because I've established relationships with them over many years, but I don't even ask them about learning and development type or talent development questions. I'm asking them, what are your biggest challenges right now? What are the biggest rocks that you're staring down in your part of the company right now? Where are your people doing awesome? So where are you really succeeding? And what surprised you recently about how how work is being done? And those are the kinds of questions I'm asking. And then I'm gathering that all as data, really, to try to figure out how does that fit into our learning lens and can we better assist? So that's one thing. The other thing is we don't very often play the role of order takers. We are and do operate, and probably myself more so because I'm at that more strategic level. When someone comes requesting training, we now go through a pretty defined process of asking questions to determine whether or not training or learning is really what they need. And I would say that most of the time it's not. And you would think as a learning and development person, of course I wanna provide training as much as I can, 
but I don't because I really don't want to waste company time and resources for something that's not going to pay off on the other end. And especially then it comes back around and people say, well, the training didn't work. Yeah. Well, that's because it wasn't what was meant to solve the problem. Right. Now, sometimes there's a learning component to the issue, but it's usually not sufficient to solve the entire problem. So I think there's a whole consulting process that we go through and then data gathering on the back end. So what's working and what's not working? What is effective and what's not effective? Uh, we've learned a lot about that just through the surveys that we've done with folks who have onboarded, for example. Yeah. We're in the process now where we're really trying to figure out how to tie those back to business results. So I would say that's the frontier that we're trying to tackle right now or explore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm making progress on it, but I haven't quite put all the pieces together there yet. But we have learned quite a bit about what works and what is effective in terms of when folks are learning. Yeah. And what I've become really passionate about is that learning is not an event, it's an experience. So learning very rarely will happen in a one-time work in a one-time workshop or training class or whatever it may be. And usually when folks come to us, that's what they're looking for because that's how we've all grown up. We all grew up in school with these very formal classroom models. And so we have in our heads that that's how we need to learn, but really it doesn't, the transfer doesn't always happen there. Yeah. I, I frequently will say to our team, I don't know if I've ever actually said it out loud to stakeholders, but my thought is I can't send you into a classroom and send you back out with a bow on top. There's still gonna be work right. that has to be done and so instead of designing for this one couple hour chunk of time, let's design for that learning to happen throughout someone's day, week, month, so that they're constantly interacting with whatever it is that we're hoping to help them learn and they can apply the skills as quickly as possible afterwards. Yeah. A workshop or a class might be one component of that, but it can't be the only one. For over three years now, the Talent Development Hot Seat Podcast has been proudly sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage Performance Group provides creative learning and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. Advantage helps leaders lead, sellers sell, and businesses flourish, and you to be more successful at your job. The Advantage website has great free resources, including this podcast and an amazing webinar series that include topics such as innovation, future storming, inclusion, sales, leadership, and so much more. To get access to all of our free resources, as well as overviews of the solutions that Advantage offers, just head on over to AdvantagePerformance.com. That's AdvantagePerformance.com. Yeah, because you're not going to just put somebody in a workshop. Like you said, put a bow on them, send them out, and they're going to be, oh, you've learned everything and your behaviors are going to change now. There's a lot more that go into that. I'm really glad you mentioned the consultative aspect of that as well and, and really asking questions to figure out is training what is actually needed and a lot of times it's not you know i think back to the last three years of running this podcast i've asked most of my guests about their biggest career mistake the most common one is early in their careers people saying you know someone asked for training and i created it right and it was not what was needed it was a complete mistake right because i didn't ask enough questions mm -hmm. could you give an example of you know how you went through that process for something either a great program you created or maybe a time when everybody thought training was needed, but it was actually something completely different. Sure. I can give a couple of examples. One that comes to mind is a pro program that, or a, a learning 
program that I'm involved in right now. And it was our sales team came to us and said, hey, we've got a really big goal this year, you know, that which is the nature of a sales organization. Every year, the goals get a little bit bigger. You meet that one and then it gets a little bit bigger. And they said, we don't know if our folks are ready to meet this big goal. So we need some training. Mm-hmm. And so right at first, I start with questions like, okay, well, what kind of training do you think you need? Because I want to meet them where they're at. I don't want to take this left turn and say, well, it might not be training that you need. Right. You know, it's the yes and approach. You know, yeah, we can, I can work with you on that. What are you looking for? Mm-hmm. And they couldn't quite define it. And I said, well, what needs to be different in order for these folks to act, to meet this goal? And again, you know, they need to be better communicators. What does that look like? What does communication look like? Well, and, and it just, there wasn't a real good definition around it. So I think they knew they needed something, but they didn't know what they needed. And so then when, when we get to that point where folks tend to start to stumble around a little bit, one of my favorite things to say is, well, I can help you figure it out if you give me some access to your people and your data. Hmm. And they'll say, well, yeah, we can do that. I said, okay, I need a couple of months and here's what I need. Here's who I need access to. And I generally will ask for two access to data about how the team is performing, but then I'll also ask for um, access to two different groups of people within the team. And this is really a truly a human performance consulting type approach. So one of them is your key performers and one of them is your standard performers. So your key performers are the people who are really hitting the numbers. You might not like them, so it's really important that they we that it's the numbers that are driving who the key performers are, because as managers and humans, we all have biases towards doing things the way we like to do them. Yep. But we don't we don't want to we don't want to replicate doing something just because we like it. We want to replicate doing what's effective. And then give me access to your standard performers who are the, you know, the average people. They, they do well, but they're not above and beyond at any point mm-hmm. because there's some difference there. So the question I, I want to find out through this curious, almost detective mindset is what is it that those key performers are doing differently? What have they figured out that our standard performers haven't figured out? Because if we could raise the standard performers just to the key performer level, we would raise the performance of the entire team. Mm-hmm. So we went through that process. I interviewed uh, key performers and standard performers. I also did some shadowing of them when they were doing sales presentations and sales calls and found several differences between the key performers and the standard performers, presented my results and recommendations. Now there was a component of of, of learning to it, but really we can only, learning will only solve a problem if there's a gap in knowledge and skills. And I didn't find there was a huge gap in knowledge and skills where the gap was, was in a clear knowledge of which activities led to a sale. So a clear knowledge of that and then where, where the gaps were. So if there's five activities that lead to a sale that all our key performers are following and our standard performers aren't really following those, our key performers always knew at which point each of their pipeline was at within those five activities because they tracked it by themselves on their own. Our standard performers didn't track that and they didn't always know. And so they might be knocking it out of the park in presentations, but their proposal number is way down. So even if they if, if they got more presentations, they're not going to get the money coming in through the proposal numbers as well. Mm-hmm. So instead of going at that with a, um, 
with a training approach, what we needed to do was get a better way to track activities within the database. So now we're working with developers on how can we infuse some tracking for each activity so that your standard performers know where they're at in the pipeline. And if they need to work harder this week on getting proposals as opposed to, to presentations. Right, so yeah, what, what get measures gets done and the tracking allows mm -hmm. you to see where things are breaking down. Mm -hmm. uh, I've worked in sales for quite a long time. You know, you've got leads coming in and then you know, attempts to have conversations and then how did those conversations go? And then what percentage of those went to the next level? And then what percentage of those went to verbal? Then what percentage went to contract? Exactly. And then when the money actually came in. And when you start looking at people and their own funnels, like where do certain things break down? Maybe the issue is not what you thought it was at all. Maybe you don't need more leads. Maybe you just need better conversations, right? And what you're talking about is going through a full detective process. And I love what you talk about. We, we did this with the consulting company I used to work for, BTS, where we define what great leadership or what great looks mm -hmm. like in a role by doing what you said, interviewing the star performers, interviewing the mediocre performers, maybe even interviewing a couple of the low performers to find out what they're doing differently so that then you can model, you know, create a model for greatness based on what the top performers are doing. And then you can start to either train or measure or do whatever you need to do to move them in that direction. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And when we interview them, we don't tell them, hey, I'm right. interviewing you because you're a high performer or an average performer. You're a bottom we just say, performer. hey, we're, we want to learn more about your role and how you approach your days. And yeah. that's where we started from. Yeah. So another. I'll, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Jess. Oh, I was going to say there's another really uh, maybe a more simplified example I can give. Yeah. Um, there's a team that has had two very specific tasks. One was very complex. They were data processing more complex data processing and one very simple data processing. And they had tons of people doing the simple and they were killing it, but nobody wanted to take on that role to do those more complex pieces. So then they thought, well, they're probably, they're intimidated by it. They just need training to get better. So they know, but when we dug in, that wasn't what it was at all. Hmm. It was that they had an incentive structure set up that rewarded people for quantity and quality only. And so if I'm doing the simple tasks, I can do them a lot faster. So my quantity goes up and I'm less likely to make mistakes because they're pretty simple. Whereas the complex tasks, I do fewer in a day and I'm more likely to make the mistakes. So even though I'm taking on more responsibility and more difficult work, I'm going to make less money because I'm incented only by quality and quantity. So instead of providing training, we revamped the incentive structure so that those who took on the more complex tasks actually had some more pay boost to do so. Mm -hmm. And then there weren't, we couldn't get, we had more than enough people raising their hands to want to work on the more complex tasks. Right. So that's a, maybe a more simplified example to dive in and do a little bit of exploring when someone just comes and says they're looking for training. I once heard somebody say, if someone's coming and looking for, for training or onboarding for a brand new employee, that's to be expected. But if they're coming to you saying they need training because they have a problem on their team, that's a little bit suspect. Mm. Yeah. And you want to see what, what's the root of that? What's the issue? Yep. And I, exactly. I love that example too about the complex problems because you could train people all day on how to yeah. do, handle context problems, but if they're getting paid on number of problems, they're getting bonus on the number they do, they're all going to keep going for the simple ones because incentives yeah. drive actions. Right. It wouldn't have mattered how much training we did. It would not have solved the problem. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I want to switch gears a little bit, Jess, and talk about uh, career development in L&D. I know this is a passion of yours. You've hired a lot of people in L&D. You've mm-hmm. coached and mentored many people in learning and development. When you think about starting a career, for those people who are listening, thinking, I'm looking to start a career in L&D, what are some tips or advice you give for people that you know just starting out, how to break into learning and development and, and find some success there? Mm-hmm. So there's a couple different things. One would be dive into the profession as a whole. Start doing things like listening to this podcast or checking out some of the associations that are out there, Association for Talent Development, the Human Resource Association. Um, Look at their websites, see what blogs are out there. Just start following and finding out more about what happens in this whole world of corporate or or not even corporate, but just learning and development as a whole. So just start start being curious and asking and finding out some things. The second thing would be network, networking conversations. Do your own year of curiosity or more. And if you find someone who you're curious to know more about and what they do, ask them. Most people are okay having a cup of coffee with you or giving you a little bit more information about what their jobs are like, who doesn't like to talk about themselves. Uh, (laughs) And then the third one is, how can you practice those skills before you have the job? So this one I think is, is important because there's ways that we can do learning and development without having the learning and development title. So I credit a lot of how I learned what I learned about good facilitation from leading small group book studies. I learned how to facilitate and ask questions. In fact, when I started to lead small group book studies, and at the time it was with my church, I really knew nothing about the Bible, but I thought I don't need to know. All I need to do is ask really good questions. And if I ask really good questions, somebody else will bring the nugget of information. I mean, that's what I love about some are many of our think tank conversations, Andy, is somebody different brings that nugget of information each time. And you say, ah, I was so good. And you want to write it down and follow up with that person and, and infuse that into your practice somehow. But none of those were paid. That wasn't a paid thing that I did. And I volunteered to assist on local boards and volunteered to assist uh, new folks in in that board learn something. And if you are doing that, you can um, put that on your resume. Mm. And it's not a bad thing to put some volunteer work on your resume that relates to something you're trying to learn. So recently we were interviewing for a brand new facilitator to our team, which is usually a very entry level role. And first of all, I look for people who have anything on their resume that says the words training or learning. I don't care if they did it at McDonald's or if they did it, you know, you know, years ago somewhere, just somehow somewhere. And then the second thing is having them be able to talk a little bit about that and what was important about it. But I always tell people afterwards, especially if they didn't get the role, um, especially our internal candidates, I figure they've spent a lot of time preparing for the interview and having the conversation with me. So I owe it to them to give back some really constructive feedback if they yeah. wanted to continue to go into the, into the field. And one of the things I'll, get, I'll tell them is, hey, you know, in your resume, you talked about how you help brand new Dungeons and Dragons players learn how to make characters. Right. And this is a real life example, this happened. I, I said, put that on your resume. 
say that you help new brand new people learn how to make characters and how you do that because it was a very hands-on process which is exactly what i'm looking for in a trainer right or i had somebody interview who this wasn't on their resume either they had created a brand new um training manual in their uh, in their office for their admin team and they didn't think of it as one of their primary job duties but that was learning and development related so yeah. it may be in your job or it may be in a volunteer or it may even be fun and something that you just enjoy doing like playing dungeons and dragons yeah. but if you're helping somebody else learn something about it don't discount that as an op as as a as a way to learn how we do things in the profession it's such a great reminder and i'm not a resume expert or coach but one thing i learned a long time ago when i was in business school putting a resume together that you know, so many people think a resume is a list of your job responsibilities. It really needs to be more of a list of your accomplishments, things that you've done. Mm -hmm. so you want to showcase what you can also do for your next employer. And you want things that are relevant on there. Even if it doesn't seem quote unquote professional, like Dungeons and Dragons, right? You are still <laughs> facilitating, you're teaching, you're training, and that's a transferable skill that can be used somewhere else. Not to mention, you might come across a hiring manager who loves Dungeons and Dragons. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah, you never know. <laughs> I want to talk to this person, right? Every little thing can help to get you in there, right? Uh -huh. But I, I'm glad you mentioned that about facilitation too, because a lot of people get it confused with teaching and think I have to have all this knowledge, but really facilitating is starting a conversation. It's getting knowledge and information out of people. Why well, I love facilitating. I never feel pressure to be the smartest person in the room. I just mm -hmm. want to create a great conversation. And, and side note, that's why Bennett Phillips, who great guest hosted a podcast recently, he and I started the Talent Development Think Tank conference because I went to so many conferences and I saw there's all these great people in the audience with so much knowledge and we're just listening to a handful of people on stage, right? And I wanted to be able to create more interactive sessions to pull knowledge out of the audience, let the audience participate. And that's what we did with the conference. That's what we're doing with the community. Because like you said, you never know where that insight is gonna come from. It doesn't have to come from the one person on stage mm -mm. and you want great people in L&D who recognize that and are able to pull that out of people. Well, in fact, I say there's two types of people that go into L&D. There's the people who want to be the smartest person in the room on the stage. Mm. And they want to be there telling people everything else, everything they know. And then there's the people who know they really just want to see what can emerge yeah. and help guide people to learn on their own. And that's the type of person I look for on my team, for sure. Um, we've had people leave the team because that's not the type of person they wanted to be. They're probably then much better suited to be a subject matter expert somewhere. Yeah. So a facilitator, a true facilitator is facilitating learning in others. And that's what they're the expert in. They're not necessarily the expert in, they don't have to be the expert in the subject matter. So we talked about advice for getting into L&D earlier. We talked about really owning your career and some of the things you can do in mm -hmm. learning and development. You talked about the importance of networking which I think is so important, you know, go find the people who are doing the thing that, you know, you want to be doing and ask them if you can ask them some questions, sit down, have a coffee, a virtual coffee, which leads to another thing I was going to ask you about. I know you're really big on curiosity. <laughs> and we actually had an interview recently with uh, Simon Brown from Novartis, who had a whole, has a whole book about curiosity. For you, why, why is curiosity important in this role? Well, I think without curiosity, you, you will stagnate very quickly. And Curiosity is such a big part to me of leadership because you're looking at the people around you as people who have something to contribute. 
you're admitting that you don't know everything. And this is going to sound all wide-eyed and idealistic, but I truly believe if we could really be collaborative and pull together the genius of everyone in the room, we could solve just about any problem. But we, our own egos get in the way because we, we, we want to be the smartest or we, we, we want to not look like we don't know something. I think that gets, that's maybe yeah. more of it than I want to be the smartest. It's the, I don't want to look like I'm the stupidest. That's right. So without that curiosity, without that sort of constant drive to how can we do something differently? How can we do something better? How can this be more effective? What could I learn from you? What knowledge do you have in that brain of yours that, gosh, if we could just tap into that. What talents do you have? I can get really kind of excited about all of that. And I've seen when as a leader, you can pull that out of somebody it's almost more rewarding than doing it yourself. Yes. And so, probably more effective too, because you might get new ideas. Oh my goodness, yes. Happen, right? Yeah. And I'm yeah. glad you mentioned that for leadership. We've talked about it a little bit on this podcast, but you know, I have this whole philosophy on modern leadership and I've run so many leadership development <laughs> workshops and I see people feel so much pressure to try to be the smartest in the room, to have all the answers or not look like the dumbest person there. But leadership is not about being the smartest person in the room. It's about enabling people around you to get things done. And learning and development is that way too. It's about enabling people to grow in their careers, right? In their organization. And so it starts with curiosity, asking people questions, finding out, is there a better way? Um, mm -hmm. How can we do this? You don't have to have the answers. You just need to facilitate the conversation, right? And you mm -hmm. talked earlier about taking a consultative approach, being very curious. That's how you find the answers instead of just making assumptions, which almost always get us in trouble. So I just love that uh, that's a big part of how you operate in your career. And I know that's advice you give to a lot of others. We've got to wrap things up, Jess, but I did want to ask you as a shameless plug, you've been in the talent development think tank now for a few months. What have you enjoyed about the community and why should other people consider joining? So by and far, I just told somebody else this, this last weekend, Andy, by and far, this community has been the best professional development opportunity that I have participated in in my career. And the reason is because you have a ton of really smart people who are in there who all are willing to share and collaborate and have conversation and partner and problem solve together. And I have had more one-on-one -on -one conversations with folks all over the country about, hey, what are you working on? What are you thinking about when you're working on that? Um, here's, here's something that, I, that we're struggling with. Does anybody have ideas about this? And we do it over the Slack channel too, that happens, but I've also had plenty of virtual coffees with folks to learn more. And this group has pushed me to think and grow more in the last six months than I think I have in the last several years. So there you go. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's a quote for the website right there. I, like I know. <laughs> it, 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 I don't even know that maybe for you it's a shameless plug, but for me it's just a, a plug because it has been so beneficial. And now getting to know folks and coming to the weekly calls has been fun. And, and somebody different brings that nugget every time, which I just love. I don't even care anymore what the topic of the call is, whether or not it's something that I'm interested in, because I know something is going to come out of it from somebody in that room. 
I love it. And I love that about our conversations too. And I love that you're a part of it and you are one of those people that's always sharing great things. And, and a good lesson from this too, you talked about networking earlier, that whether you join the think tank or any other community, it's so important to be around people who are doing great things that you can learn from and you get out of it what you put into it. So you've also got to be willing to show up, to listen, to take notes, to reach out, to build your network, to ask more questions, which is something I see you doing all the time and something I do all the time. And I think for both of us, we'd say it's a big reason for our success. So I wanted to mention that. We're going to wrap things up here, Jess, and then have a few more questions for you in our bonus round that will be available to our Think Tank members. But for those listening who want to get in touch with you, where's the best place to go? Is it LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn by and far. And I should be easy to find. I think I'm the only Jess Almley out there. So you should be able to find me. I think I've got a public profile and connect that way. Always happy to have conversation there as well. Yeah. And you just started doing some writing and sharing some content. You wrote, you published an article on LinkedIn the other day, and I know you're committed to sharing more of that. So if you're listening, you like what Jess had to say today, make sure you go connect or follow her on LinkedIn and check out some of the articles she's putting out on some of the topics we talked about today to really help people in learning and development. So Jess, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate you being here and I'll see you in the bonus round. Thanks. All right, that is my interview with Jess Omley, who is VP of Learning Experience at WEX. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you took lots of notes that you will share this with your colleagues. If you found it to be beneficial, please share it with others. Let them know, hey, I just listened to this great interview on the Talent Development Hot Seat with Jess Omley sharing all kinds of tips for how to get better at learning and development, take more of a consultative approach, how to really accelerate our own career success in learning and development, talent development. So make sure you share that with others. And if you're interested in more advice on how to own your career, check out my book, Own Your Career, Own Your Life. It's available on Amazon now, and we have bonus resources on our website, ownyourcareerownyourlife.com. And then finally, you heard Jess talking about how much she loves the talent development think tank community. I really designed it to be effective at helping people connect with each other to learn, share best practices, and really grow in their careers. And so I don't mind talking about it all the time because I know how much value there is and I want you to check it out. Yes, there is a cost. You must make an investment, but I've invested in myself many times by joining communities like this and it always pays off. And I know that once you make that investment, it will for you. If it is right for you, our website is talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. And all the information is there. We have live calls every Wednesday. If you're curious and you're still not sure if it's right for you, book a call with me. There's a link on there to book a 15-minute chat with me or send me an email, andy at andystorch.com. I don't encourage people to join if it's not a good fit. I want it to be a great fit. And so reach out if you have questions about it, andy at andystorch.com. And again, the website is talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. Thank you again for listening. I really appreciate it. And I hope to see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again. Take care.